proceeding from the great commission given by Jesus to make disciples of all nations, the early church exploded and countless souls were made new by the atoning work of Christ. Dead hearts were made alive and churches sprouted up throughout the world. As a need for clear and concise biblical interpretation arose, the Reformed Confessions of the Faith were written and still have a major impact on the church today. The Confessional Collective desires to see healthy, theologically sound churches planted and on mission for the Kingdom of Christ. Welcome to the Confessional Collective. Welcome to the Confessional Collective, where truth meets mission. My name is Aaron Carr. And I am Chris Santola. And we are together. We're going to discuss some uh, hot topics, specifically dealing with the church discipline and discipleship in the digital culture. That's pretty sweet in the sense that it's pretty robust. You could talk about any one of those things at mm-hmm. any one time and have a full show. We're going to wrap it all three into one. Yeah, that is definitely a, quite the full agenda we have set for ourselves here today. But before we get into that, I need to let the listeners know I did finally receive my license plate. The USS Warfield is afloat, and the Jeep Wrangler is is driving proud, man. Presbyterianism, yep, shout. Presbyterianism is uh, good and strong here in the great state of Michigan as we drive across the uh, the plains and and declare this ground is being reformed. <laughs> Shout out to the Michigan DMV. Thank you. <laughs> Three weeks later, finally came. It's not too bad, though. Not too bad. I got some other exciting news I want to quickly share with our listeners. Uh, this week, I'll actually be jumping across the pond, i.e. the Atlantic Ocean, and heading over to England and Scotland. Uh, I was given an invitation through Ian Williamson, who is there planting a church in Middlesbrough, and asked us to come over and and learn from him and see what he's got going on, as well as trying to help, uh, just so that we see what we can do and build relationships. This all stems from Acts 29, um, an initiative that they put together called Church in Hard Places, which some of you may be familiar with, dealing with my dear friend Doug Logan, who deals with all of that from the state side, while Mez McConnell is dealing with it from uh, the Europe side, dealing specifically with Scotland and you might have heard his ministry before called 20 Schemes. I discovered this. A scheme means project. So they're reaching 20 projects in Scotland for the glory of Christ. And obviously there are many disadvantages and struggles and hardships that come when trying to plant a church in a hard place, um, such as a poor uh, area. And so there's a lot of work going into trying to see how we can do this better. And so I'm glad I get this opportunity. Just also so happens to be my wife and I's 15th anniversary. So this is going to be kind of what? like, yeah, 15 years, man, I'm getting old. But we're going to, <laughs> we're going to get to do this together. <laughs> so that's pretty sweet. I grabbed one of my elders and his wife, and uh, we're just going to go over there and, uh, and, and see how we can help and uh, what we can learn. So this is really just a uh, get to know you and try to try to explore, um, seeing how we can build a relationship, do a do a real partnership here between our church and uh, Acts twenty nine and and Europe. What's going on in Europe? So very cool. But enough about all that. Very cool. Enough about all that. Let's let's talk uh, about our our big topic. We've already introduced it. Church discipline and discipleship in the digital culture. And I got to tell you, Chris, uh, when you look at those three things again. We could talk about any one of them, and we're going to wrap them all together. So, I think to do this, we got to we got to do justice to this topic. We got to first define our terms. Mm-hmm. So, let's deal first of all 
when we talk about church, uh, church discipline, we got to define what the church is. Um, right. We live in a day and age where people say the church isn't a building. I mean, how many times have you heard that, right? The church mm-hmm. is not a building. But very clearly um, in, the, in the Old Testament as well as in the New, the, the idea of church was assembly. Um, we see that from the right. Hebrew word and the Greek word. And um, when you come to that idea of, of assembly, we see it specifically in the Old Testament as they're gathered around Mount Sinai receiving the word of God as a redeemed people. And they're called for a particular purpose, a kingdom of priests, if you will. And when you look at that, you see that they have a very distinct uh, purpose and why they exist and how they're to live. And they're, in a sense, going forward and, uh, and, and, and proclaiming the glory of God wherever they go. And you right. jump forward to the New Testament and you see Jesus using the word church in two occasions, only two that I'm aware of, uh, Matthew chapter 16 and also Matthew chapter 18. Now he um, uh, there is talking about church discipline and he talks about the keys of the kingdom and you get a whole lot packed in those two uh, chapters there, chapter 16 and chapter 18 of Matthew. But um, I want you to kind of hit on what you think we need to zero in in regarding who the church is and in, in reaction to the digital culture. Yeah. You know, I would take it back around to where you began there of people say, well, the church is not a building or, or I hear a lot of people say, well, I don't go to an organized church, a local church, but I'm part of the universal church. And my pushback into that always is where do you see the Bible specifically addressing the universal church or even speaking of it as such, aside from the church victorious in heaven? You don't see that. What you see is in the New Testament, well, there are some letters addressed to individuals. Uh, there are some historical accounts, the Gospels. But then you have letters, epistles, that are written to churches, uh, to the church at Rome, to the church in Ephesus, the church at Colossae. You've got Jesus sending seven letters to seven churches, local, actual congregations there in Asia Minor. Uh, that in the book of Revelation. And so... Uh, the, the New Testament addresses local congregations, and so I think that's important to our understanding of what a church, as we talk about it in this kind of way, what a church is. Very cool. And when, and when you think about the biggest pushback about church is not a building, what do you hear people really saying? What are they really trying to, to, uh, to draw, their, uh, draw attention to? Well, on the positive side, I think sometimes they're trying to place the emphasis on the church as the people. Uh, that we we really need to place an emphasis on ministering to the people, that it's not about uh, really the building and, you know, where you're meeting per se and that kind of thing, uh, but that it's about reaching people with the gospel of Christ. And that I would applaud. Yeah, that's I say, a good yes, thing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's a good thing. Uh, I, I think where that can go a little sideways is when it starts de-emphasizing the actual gathering of a local congregation uh, and perhaps saying, well, you know, that's just as valid. I mean, I I see people misquote there, you know, out of Matthew's gospel, well, where two or more are gathered. Uh, And I'm like, yeah, in the context of of the church, in church discipline, um, you know, but uh, that is not what necessarily constitutes a local church. Um, and so I think that uh, context is very important in those kind of things, and, and I think it can 
play into our American uh, individualism, which has infiltrated uh, evangelicalism, to where we want to de-emphasize the the body, and not only the body, but the organizational structure that is prescribed to us in the New Testament uh, of church leadership, the officers of the church, uh, the authority of church leadership, the uh, the role of church leadership, and the role of the members of the church, and people want to just sort of abandon all of that into this sort of free-for-all, uh, well, I can just sort of be a Christian and not really have any type of accountability or local uh, connection and responsibility to an actual organized church. That, I think, is a problem. And, and before we get to the connection between discipline and discipleship, let's spend a few minutes talking about the blessings of the digital culture. Because there are a mm-hmm. lot. I mean, the very fact that we're doing this right now, and we we got people who listen to us from even other countries, which is which is phenomenal. I mean, in the sense that right. we can reach the world with the sound of our voices. That's scary, <laughs> but it's but it's powerful. Yeah. And you realize <laughs> the access of the gospel around the world just through the digital age. It's it's a blessing yeah. that um, we have the technology we do. And and so speak a little bit to that, the blessing as well as the cursing, just of the digital aspect um, in the day we live. No, the blessing is that the gospel is going forth into the world like it never has before. Uh, you know, you could liken it to the, the you know invention of the printing press in Luther's day and how it gave a vehicle to the gospel that had never been available to it before. Uh, we have the same kind of thing now with the internet, with social media, uh, with various technologies, you know, all the different, you know, MP3 and uh, any, all that kind of stuff. You know, even back in like the 1960s, I saw with like the tape, well, I didn't see it directly because I wasn't alive, but you know, the tape ministries and stuff like that, that would go out and suddenly people are able to listen to sermons from uh, and teaching from all kinds of different pastors. That was a huge thing. That is a huge blessing that the word of God and the teaching of the word of God is going out in through those vehicles, those you know means of the digital age, like it never has before. Um, so, uh, so that's a good thing. I think the, the challenge that we face with it uh, is that as people listen to and study the, the teachings of various people through those digital means, there is the, the possibility, and, and it's not just a hypothetical, I mean, we see it happening, where people begin to place a, a greater faith and confidence and, uh, and passion for, for these pastors or teachers that they're listening to via well, even in books, you know, or, you know, MP3s, podcasts, whatever, then they are really giving to their own local pastor. And you see this where you ask people, who's your favorite pastor? And, you know, they're saying, you know, this guy, that guy, you know, uh, uh, you know, I love listening to R.C. Sproul or Ligon Duncan or John Piper or whoever. And it's like, what about your pastor? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, he, he's good. You know, and it's like, well, wait a second. Uh, and I've heard some of these you guys, like, I think it was Piper actually spoke to this some time ago saying, look, you know, these guys that you're listening to, uh, they're, they're not there in your life. 
you know, they're not accountable for your soul, like the scripture says. Uh, you're not part of their congregation. They're not going to be there when your kids are born. They're not going to perform your wedding. They're not going to be there when you get cancer or, or to be at the hospital with you or to speak at your funeral. They have no actual relationship to your life. Uh, that's who, what your pastor in the local church should be for you. And so that's the danger is that sometimes I think there's a huge emphasis being placed on, uh, especially I think almost an allegiance to you know, various voices in the digital community uh, that undermines, in a sense, the actual work uh, of the pastor and the local church. Yeah. And, if, and if I could carry that even one step further, one of the concerns, and, and I've said it before in our podcast, is the fact that today is everybody's an expert. You know, yeah. and, and anybody can get behind a mic is as simple as it is to start a podcast or uh, to write a blog or um, to get to get your information out there. And where's the accountability? Where's the where's mm -hmm. the responsibility? Um, who's holding your feet to the fire to make sure the things that you proclaim? And we know that the scripture tells us there'll be a harsher judgment for teachers. And a lot of people are placing themselves in roles of teachers that have no business doing that. Um, and that's not me saying everybody needs to go to seminary. That's not what I'm saying. But there is right. a training. There is a preparation. There is a calling. Um, there is accountability that these things need to all fit within if you're going to be out there and just proclaiming uh, the words of Christ and in the sense of saying, thus saith the Lord, to make sure that what you are proclaiming is, thus saith the Lord. <laughs> um, right. Yeah, yeah. And so... I think kind of moving into our topic, what I want to do is draw attention to our audience of Westminster Confession, Chapter 30, which happens to deal with of church censures. And I want to start with the very first paragraph, and it reads this way. The Lord Jesus, as king and head of his church, hath therein appointed a government in the hand of church officers, distinct from the civil magistrate. So right there, you, you get a, a clear understanding that the, the civil magistrate and the officers of the church are two separate uh, bodies. They're not one and the same. But as you begin to move into this, it's important to point out that, that the king of the church, the ruler of the church, the head of the church, is not, we're not saying, and I want to be clear about this, uh, Chris and I are not saying that the local pastor is the bishop. The local pastor mm -hmm. is the head. No, he, they, they're under shepherds under Christ. This is Christ's church, and he is the head. But he has appointed a system, and he has appointed officers, i.e. elders, to rule his church. And there's accountability and responsibility of those local pastors, those local elders, those local shepherds that let allow for uh, good functionality, allow for things to operate as they should. Which brings us to the second paragraph, which is a little more uh, steep. It says, to these officers, the keys of the kingdom of heaven are committed by virtue whereof they have power respectively to retain and remit sin, to shut the kingdom against the impenitent, but by the word and censures and to open it unto penitent sinners by the ministry of the gospel and by absolution from censures on as occasions shall require. And there's the whole discipline. And so what right. I want to do is spend a little bit of time talking about the responsibility of these officers, these elders, and their role in church discipline. 
Um, one of the things that we often miss, and, and I'm, I'm very thankful for the biblical theology by Gerhardus Voss. If you go back to that and you go to his opening sections where he begins to talk about pre-fall and he talks about the, the, the garden and the garden is this perfect picture of where God and man meet and where there's intimacy. And in the garden, God obviously makes the, the covenant of works and he also uh, will later establish the covenant of grace after the fall. Uh, but what I wanna draw the attention to is in this garden scene, in this perfect garden scene, you have Adam acting as a prophet, priest, and king. And as a king, he has a responsibility to protect his wife. And he should have, he should have thrown the serpent out, but he didn't do that. Right, and, and as a prophet, he has a responsibility to proclaim the word of God, to make sure that, the, that his, his, uh, his family, uh, this church family, right? Because a small church family at this point, very small church, church plant. And in that small church plant, Eve <laughs> is getting the word of God. And of course, it's believed that Adam adds to um, the, the law that he gives her that not only is she not to eat, she's not to touch, right? So he's adding, and, and I've read all kinds of, uh, of arguments about that. But there's the third element as priest where he fails because he doesn't keep the sacred sacred. And I think this is an important thing that what which is holy needs to be kept holy. You go back to the Lord's table and we're told to make sure that we're, we're fencing the table. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that where there's a call that people examine themselves. And it even says why, because if they don't, some are sick and died. Um, and, and this is a serious deal. It's not to be taken lightly. The church has been given responsibility to make sure that not we're not just being willy-nilly and letting whoever wants to come, come. Um, that there is a responsibility to be right with the Lord, um, and and, there, and 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 as we walk through that, so church discipline plays a major role. Obviously, you go back to one of the things we've said. One of the only two times Jesus uses the word church is specifically Matthew eighteen, which deals with the process of church discipline. So mm-hmm. I just want you to kind of unpack this. I've tried to set it and uh, put it on the tee for you from the standpoint that, that the protecting <laughs> the sacred is important and making sure that when, when people are uh, people that uh, God has put in place and called to be elders, to be officers in the church, have a responsibility and to do an end round where you're doing things that are not falling under that order that God has set in place is dangerous, is very dangerous for the greater body. Yeah, it it ultimately undermines the leadership of the local church. It undermines the mission of the local church. And further, it does great damage to the individual who is doing that undermining. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, well-known verse, It says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And so on the one side, we understand from this verse that uh, the leaders of the local church, as uh, Westminster puts it, the officers of the church, have a a stewardship, uh, an accountability before God for those over whom they are charged of watching out for their souls, watching over their souls. So there is that, as we put it, under shepherding, Christ being the head of his church, he has appointed under shepherds to watch over the souls of the, of the church, of the body of Christ. Um, but one of the things it says there is, 
Just let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Uh, there is a way in which uh, the members of a church can act in such a way, behave in such a way, live in such a way that uh, it is making it very difficult for the officers of the church, for the pastors and elders and leaders to be able to perform their duties unto God and watch over the flock of God, uh, to shepherd them, to make disciples, uh, to exercise church discipline. And that it makes it harder for them, obviously, let them do this, not with groaning. Uh, I don't know about you. There's, there's been a few moments of groaning in my, uh, pastoral, uh, <laughs> times. Sure. <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> but, uh, but at the same and time, any pastor you know, who says there isn't is lying. Let me just say that. Yeah, you're you're you're, you're lying, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so, but but he says the thing is not only is that you know obviously not fun for those pastors, but it's of no advantage to those whom they are shepherding either. Mm. And so, uh, you know, in a sense, that's why I think we need to keep the sacred sacred and, and the holy holy and recognize what the scripture has to say about the church, about its organization, its leadership, what it means, uh, not simply that God has appointed uh, those officers of the church to, to lead the church and uh, to watch over the church, but what it means to be a member of the church as well, and the commitment that comes with that. Yeah, there, there's definitely, we, we're not giving this idea that the elders and shepherds should rule with a strong hand, an iron fist, uh, carry a big no. stick, and, and that's, we're not saying that. And I think a lot of times that's what a lot of us maybe, I don't know that we've seen it, but we pretend that, that we've at least, well, um, because I don't think church discipline's really been functioning in the church well in America for some time. Not so when people, really. when people <laughs> are, 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 are negative against it, I don't think that a lot of them have seen it firsthand. Now, clearly, there are some cases, and, and we have documented cases that have become very popularized in our culture of uh, wrong discipline. So I don't want to minimize that. But but for most of us, we haven't seen church discipline done well. So when we're talking about is not a fist, we're not talking about a fury, but we're talking no. about about structure and and systems and 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 like again, not going around the end, just doing my own thing willy nilly. But I'm actually submitting to the authority that God has placed over me because it's for the protection, not just of my soul, but the souls of others. To make sure that what is proclaimed, what is taught, what is discussed is truly helpful and beneficial and the truth. And yeah. uh, when church discipline is in place, there is a, a very specific purpose for it. It's not just to kick people out of the church. The goal no. of church discipline is restoration. Uh, we get to Absolutely. Yeah, we get that to the uh, third section here. It says church censures are necessary for the reclaiming and the gaining of offended brethren. Uh, that's the uh, paragraph three of chapter 30 of the Westminster Confession, for reclaiming and gaining the offended brother. And that's the goal, is we want to see those who are unrepentant re become repentant and, and to come back. And the problem we live in today is where people are just rolling off the, the presses, anything they want, that it's leading people literally to the highway of hell because of people getting caught up on the nuances where they're in over their head and they're not submitting to the, the leadership that God has placed over them. And I'm not saying that that um, we shouldn't have uh, uh, a perspective of the fact that we are all a kingdom of priests. We are. But we all have a responsibility together then 
to keep that which is sacred sacred. If you go back to the garden, yeah. Adam failed, and and we need to recognize we have the tendency to fail too because we're in Adam. And that's why we need to look to Christ and we need to follow Christ's order here that he has placed leadership here in, in, in our, for our good and it's also for his glory. Right. And, you know, part of this comes as the church, uh, you know, uh, really kind of embraces, I guess, this idea of this uh, universal church kind of concept that what you see people saying, well, there's churches all over the place. Um, there's even a lot of churches out here in my side of the country that ha they don't even have a membership. Um, you know, you can just show up if you want to show up, go somewhere else if you want. Um, and they don't have any type of official membership role or anything, which I always wonder, how in the world do you exercise church discipline, uh, which would involve putting somebody out of membership if you don't even have a membership? But um, that's another story, I guess. But I, uh, one of the things I've noticed with this as well, Aaron, is that when somebody, you know, in a church does come under discipline, that a lot of times they'll go, okay, fine, forget you guys. I'm going to go to church B down the street. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they just kind of dodge discipline and boom, they're down there now. And what are you going to do? Well, there have been cases where I've called up, you know, pastor so-and-so at that church. And I'm like, you know, all the pastors in this area know each other uh, and say, hey, man, this person's coming over to your place. They're under discipline over here. Uh, now, in some cases, that works well because uh, they recognize what that means. They, they have got their ecclesiology down and they're like, OK, hey, we're going to have to have a conversation to go. You need to go back over there and uh, and deal with this. And until you're in good standing, uh, you're not going to come into membership over here. Now, see, I imagine like if I called you up and said, hey, Aaron, you know, this person just bounced from my church. They're over with you now. And hey, this person's under discipline right now. What would you do? Well, I, I would shrug my shoulders and say, tough, Chris. No, <laughs> no, of course not. In fact, that has happened where I've gotten a phone call from pastors in the area. And that forces me to have a hard conversation with this family who's come over right. to say, you know, the right. best thing you can do is go back and finish what's been started over there. Um, right. I've had to call pastors to say, hey, uh, so-and-so is here from your church, and they're telling me that they're basically fleeing. I want you to know they're here. Number two, let you know that I'm doing everything I can to push them back towards you. Yep. And Yeah, been there, done yeah, that, man. It's, <laughs> and it's important that we follow through that. But I want to go back to something else you pointed out, which is so true. We live in a day and age where a lot of churches just don't even have membership. Just come if you want to come, hang out if you want to hang out. And people love that because they can just kind of – you know, there's nobody holding them accountable. And that's yeah, absolute dangerous. anonymity and no authority. It's so dangerous. It's, it's, these are the souls of men. There are too many in America that think they're going to heaven, uh, to put it that in quotes. And, and, and the reality is they're literally on the highway to hell. They don't know Christ. And, and the sooner we can start to get to the root of things is helpful for them to see that they got some sin issues that need to be dealt with that they can't just hide. Now, I'm not saying anybody who's ever been brought under discipline is on the highway to hell, but I am saying that the the steps of discipline are important. And of course, there are steps. It's not just automatically right. the eject button. Um, the There are steps and the steps need to be followed and we know what those are. But I want to make it crystal clear. Matthew 18's steps are for individual offenses. Um, in our in our denomination, we have a whole book of discipline that we walk mm -hmm. through um, with individuals. But 
the steps need to be followed and the steps are given as we walk through them through scripture. And as you're looking at those things, we need to see that they're given by God. They're intentional. So when you have no membership, you're basically saying that there's no way I can hold you accountable and I'm not even going to try. And to right. me, that's just but dangerous. The, yeah, I think, you know, as some people talk about this sort of thing, there's such a harsh pushback and, you know, They'll say, well, I'm not into organized religion. And I'm like, look, this is not the bylaws of organized religion. This is the word of God put into practice uh, in the life of the local church. Um, you know, we're not just making this stuff up because we want to be authoritarian or, or heavy handed or anything. Uh, we understand that in order to care for people well, uh, God has ordained certain things uh, to to organize and structure the life of the church. And we want to put those into practice because we understand that one day we are going to be judged and, and held accountable for caring and for and watching over the flock of God that he has entrusted to us as pastors. Yeah. Um, you, you brought up a, a great verse earlier, and I want to kind of go back to it, that Hebrews 13, 17. And, you know, the People have a tendency, we can make the, the ministry of those overseers a lot harder or a lot more joyous, depending on how we're willing to take a posture of, of submission. And again, we're not talking blind submission, submission to the Word of God, because when I submit, I submit to Christ. And as I right. submit, I'm submitting to His authority, His Word. And if your pastors are out of line of that, that's another issue. That's a whole other issue right. in which that, that they, they need to be followed through. But, but odds are that when you come to those things, those things that they're asking you to submit to are things that clearly should be from Scripture and, and you should find a, a, a desire to want to submit to Scripture. If you have no desire to submit to Scripture, that, that's a hard issue. And, and, yeah. I, and I think I want to just come back and kind of camp out on that point about the ways in which we can make um, uh, we can make the responsibility of those oh, those who have oversight over us better. Can you think of any other ways? I'm using the word submission. Find find a place in which you can have a submissive heart. And again, not blind submission, but submissive submission as it's submission to Christ. What is what's some ways maybe you can think of making it a joy? Well, I think one is making that your primary place of discipleship. Uh, you know, that that is where you are going to be poured into, and that is where you are also going to pour out uh, and, and serve the body. You know, show that kind of love and passion and affection for that local church under the authority of its eldership, its pastors, uh, you know, that's that's going on there and that your real energies are not being concentrated, uh, you know, out in, you know, the, the digital world somewhere, uh, but that it's actually taking place in the context of the local church. I think we're going to be far more effective if we're putting our time and effort and energy into what God is doing right there in our neighborhood, in our local community, uh, as opposed to what we might be putting out there in the blogosphere, uh, your Twitter feed, your Facebook. And I'm not saying those are bad. I utilize all those things, but they are secondary to what is going on in the, the really real world right here in my own community. Hmm. So it, I would say, you know, 
one, don't let that be your primary place where you are being discipled and don't make that the primary place where you are doing discipling. You know, let's have real face-to-face relationship, discipleship, uh, and love right there in our community, uh, as opposed to, uh, making that a primary thing uh, or making the internet kind of stuff, a primary thing for us. Uh, let's make sure that that is a secondary, uh, thing for us and that what God is doing with us in the life of our local church is primary. Amen. I, I really hope that what we're speaking today penetrates through the outer shell because it's easy to hear the things we're saying and give a head nod and say, yeah, I'm doing that. I'm submitting. But the, the, the calling of your pastor, the calling of your local elders is, is hard. And it's a special calling, and there is a, a special gift that they're given to do the work of ministry that they're called to, for sure. But we can make it harder, or we can make it easier, depending on our posture. And I think one of the things I hear you saying so loudly, Chris, is is make that be your primary place of discipleship. Um, it, there is no greater joy than when somebody comes and says, Pastor, you know, that thing you've been working with me on, hey, I'm really trying to, to understand, or hey, I've been reading this, or hey, pastor, I'm, I'm trying to apply these points. Because then it, it's like, wow, it, 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 it's just, you see, you see the fruit. And I think one of the things as a pastor, I will say this, I enjoy working with my hands because a lot of the work I do in the sense of my calling, I don't get to see the increase. So when I get to work with some of mm-hmm. my hands and I'm building something in the garage, I can finish a project and go, oh, I built that, right? You know, that's, that's <laughs> all right. right. You know? And usually I'm calling my neighbor over and say, hey, give me a hand because I don't know what I'm doing. But, but, but the point is there's a blessing with working with your hands. I remember after, um, after my dad had passed away, um, I was just kind of really wrestling. I, I realized I was angry at death. I wasn't angry at God. I was angry at death. I realized death was robbery. And I found such joy going to that garage and working on my Jeep. It just brought joy because I could finish something. Because a lot of times I would go to work and, and, and ministering to people and I wouldn't necessarily see any fruit. I would keep having the same discussions. We'd have to keep having the same dialogue, the same interactions, and, and you wouldn't see fruit. And it can become hard because you wonder, is, am, I, you know, is, am I effective here? And I think the thing, as a pastor, if you're listening to us, be encouraged to know that I planted Apollos water but God's the one who gives the increase. And if, and if you're only looking for the increase as a pat on the back or a, a punch in the arm, like, hey, pastor, thanks, those don't come very often. And sure, our parishioners can do a better job to, to thank us, but the reality is, ultimately, we know it, we're, we're serving the Lord, and there is joy in that. So I'm trying to speak at both ends of that. Hopefully, that didn't get confusing and all that, but, but I know that the tension of just sometimes wanting to see a, a job completed. So there is joy in, in my hobbies of working with my hands, but when a, when, a, when, a, when a member comes and puts their arm around me and says, Pastor, thank you for what you said or, or how you pushed me on this, and um, I want you to know that I'm really taking it to heart. There is great joy in that yeah. for me. And I'll even add this. Uh, as encouraging as it can be as a pastor to kind of, you know, have a pat on the back occasionally. Hey, you know, really enjoyed the sermon, man. Really ministered to me. Love what you're teaching through this series. That kind of thing. Uh, obviously, really appreciate that. It's always encouraging. Um, but what really encourages me as a pastor is 
when people get engaged in what is going on yeah, there yeah. in the life of the church, when they're like, you know, it's not just going to be a, uh, you know, hey, you know, great job. Uh, it's going to be a, I am going to commit my time, my talent, my treasure to pouring out into what God is doing here. And, uh, and I want to be involved in the work of ministry here. I want to be discipled here. I want to be making disciples here. Uh, that to me, uh, is really what gets me fired up, uh, just to see, you know, the Holy Spirit working in and through people's lives in such a way as to where the whole church is engaging and, uh, and doing the work of gospel ministry there uh, in the community. That's what I love seeing. Cool. Well, I think, I think we did it. We've talked about church discipline. We've talked about <laughs> discipleship, and we've talked about the digital culture. So I think I think we hit all three. Um, Amazing. I would encourage you that if you have any comments or suggestions or even some thoughts on what we've discussed, we'd love to hear back from you. We're constantly trying to improve the podcast. We're constantly trying to improve the discussion we're having, but we want you to be part of that discussion, and you can do that by sending us a, a message on either Facebook or. Um, any of the other ways that you can you can use social media. So have at it. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Confessional Collective Podcast. For more information and resources, please visit confessionalcollective.com and be sure to like our Facebook page.